following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me, and he led me never cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so strong as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from
how much he cared for me. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'm so happy you've chosen to listen today to this broadcast. It's not for everyone. I have a very special broadcast today for, for those men and women who hunger with all of their hearts to enter fully into Jesus. Now, what I'm going to say is not easy. I'm not going to pull any punches, but it is going to be with the love and compassion and tenderness of the heart of God for you. The children of Israel, I've been reading Numbers 11, 12. I've been reading about Moses marrying a Cushite woman and Aaron and Miriam very angry and upset about that and God dealing with them about the children of Israel as they struggle trying to believe the promises of God and the judgment that God finally brought on them sending them to die in the wilderness it's no different today People get upset about many different things. They don't check the facts. They just step into what they believe and what they want. I'm not wanting to speak to those people today. I want to speak today to those of you who truly hunger and thirst for all of Jesus. You want with all of your heart to be crucified with Christ but you're not quite sure what that would look like I want to help you with that today I want to be very specific in terms of what it looks like when we're crucified with Jesus Christ the passage of scripture of course is in the second chapter of Galatians Paul says I have been crucified with Christ and still am because in the Greek construction it's a continuous action it's not crucified one time and then set free to be myself no I am crucified with Christ and I continue to be crucified with Christ on the other hand I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and that life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one having loved me and having handed himself over in my behalf. So what does that really look like? And how do we step into that? 
because all of our personal opinions come in and all of our judgments flow and everybody says different things to us. How do we finally just get to Jesus? And I tell you in my own experience, from the time I was a small child, there was a part of my heart that would not accept the religion of the day. It just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. I wanted something much more with Jesus. There was a hunger rising up in my soul, even as a six and seven year old, crying out to Jesus. That moving of the Spirit in my heart has never ceased through my life. It's even stronger today than it's ever been before. Many times I've been shamed. Many times I've been accused. Many times I've been judged and gossiped about. Many times I've been cut off. I've been deserted. Yet the Holy Spirit has continued to work in my life and in my heart and in this crucifixion process. So I want to share with you what I've gone through and what I'm going through in terms of what you need to look to and what you need to expect as you are crucified with Christ Jesus. You see why I say this is not for everyone. This is for the simple-hearted saints, you who really hunger to sink out of self and into Jesus. Now, we must begin by removing some false ideas about how we die to self. One of those false ideas comes out of what happens to us as we begin to have the revelation of who Jesus is. Inevitably, as we begin to draw close to Jesus, our blindness, our foolishness, our meanness begins to be revealed before us. Our judgments, our our desertions, our lack of love, our lack of tenderness begins to be revealed to us. And it's necessary that we allow Jesus to keep us very mellow, malleable, subdued as we go through this process. You see, when we begin to see the meanness of our own heart, how we will walk away and desert the body of Christ, how we'll get angry as we begin to see the wickedness of our judgments. We're tempted to become bitter and revengeful toward ourselves. And when we're under that impression of how wicked we have been, one of the false ideas about crucifixion is that now I must punish myself. I must make unscriptural and rash vows. I have to do something to pay for my sin. I want to tell you, please, 
On the cross, Jesus paid the price for your sin. Yes, he's going to reveal to you the meanness of your heart. He's going to reveal to you the foolishness and the blindness of your actions. But he's not doing that in order for you to punish yourself. He's revealing those things that you might utterly release them into his hand and allow his love and his tenderness to wash them away. Now, similar to this is another false idea. The choosing of some line of mortification for ourselves. Choosing a special cross. Something we must do. This will defeat the very objective you have of being crucified with Christ. The very act of choosing a cross for ourselves will keep alive our own preferences and it will furnish a nourishment for the self-will. It will allow a small place for self to live under the pretext of dying to self. So we must be very careful that we do not set our own standards for righteousness. We must be very careful as conviction comes to our hearts that we don't turn that in bitterness against ourselves. Now there's another wrong idea about crucifixion and that is when we sink into a deeper death by overwork by encouraging ourselves to a heavier task than we can reasonably accomplish we're going to serve more in the church we're going to do more we're going to be more and so we use all of our energy in self-activity I'm going to speak much more about this at a later time this false zeal going to every extreme of self-imposed poverty. I've known of men who would not own a beautiful car or who would not own any furniture. They were very spartan in everything to punish themselves. They were not worthy of anything that had any beauty. But the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians 13 that even if you allow yourself to be burned at the stake if you have the voice of an angel regardless of what you do out of yourself you can never earn or be possessed by divine love this will cause you to be hard-edged it will cause you to be rebellious it will cause you to be a thorn in the side of God's people. It will prevent you from ever truly making a commitment because you trust in your works. Now another idea that is false, and this is probably the most popular idea in the Christian church today. It is to leave ourselves to the mere law of development, that is, to be kept from very well-defined sins. 
You're not going to watch pornography. You're not going to do this or that. You're not going to drink alcohol. You're you're not going to do very specific things that you know are wrong before God. But then after those very specific sins, you're going to just relax and leave yourself to grow naturally. Now, this is the opposite air from some of what I've just shared with you. It is to be feared that this last air is the one most of you could drift into. But there is required of you an intense burning desire for Jesus. Where you stop being concerned about your own honor. Where you stop being concerned about your own testimony. You see, it's not your testimony that's important. It's the testimony of Jesus on the cross that's important. But we mix this up. And we think that we need to set our standards and we need to then just relax in Jesus and and he's going to work it all out. No, he's not. You're going to have to work it out with Jesus. And you work it out with Jesus by having a tender and loving heart, not cutting others off, not cutting the church off. But now let's... Let's focus our attention in the time we have left on, okay, how am I to die to self and let Jesus Christ be all in all for me? The answer is very practical. It is not ethereal. It is where the rubber hits the road. Of course, the first question is, do you believe it's possible to be crucified with Christ? Have we actually looked at Jesus Christ with clear eyes and chosen deliberately that we will lose ourselves in Jesus Christ? Have your spiritual eyes surveyed this possibility until it's settled conviction in your heart? Then... Has it been irreversibly, irreversibly settled in your heart that you will not set a limit on being crucified with Christ? Now, most people that I have preached to through the years would quickly say, I want to be crucified with Christ, but in fact, They have set certain laws and certain standards in place, and if you don't meet those laws or their standards, they cut you off. And I have watched through the years over and over as people have come to the National Prayer Chapel and they've gone so far on the path, and then suddenly judgments begin to flow from their heart and accusations flow from their mouth, and they excuse themselves and they run because they're afraid they don't want to be shamed so I would ask you very honestly will you make as a motto of your heart none of self and all of Jesus Christ would you think about it would you 
dream about it? Would you pray about it? Would you breathe it? Would you drink of it? Would you bathe yourself in it until it becomes a subtle, steady, all-prevailing passion in your mind, none of self and all of Jesus? Now go slow. Walk softly. Count the cost. Else you'll be shamed. If this is our determined decision to have none of self and all of Jesus, and that you want the divine depths of Jesus Christ, the first step toward this perfect death is to absolutely have a pure motive. And that motive must be, I am seeking Jesus for the sake of Jesus. I have no other motives. I'm not seeking Jesus for what he can give me. He already gave it all on the cross. I'm not seeking Jesus so that he will prosper me financially or socially. I'm not seeking Jesus for any reason except that I desire his glory, his beauty, his praise. Where I come to a place in my life where I desire to be a channel for his outflowing tenderness and love. I choose to be a vessel for him. Now, out of that vessel will not flow gossip, will not flow bitterness, will not flow anger, will not flow judgments against a brother or sister. Out of that vessel will not flow separation and cutting off. So you see that the deepest death to self lies directly in the motives and the intentions and that we must first have an all-consuming motive to want to be nothing but a vessel for Jesus Christ to live in. Regardless of the shame, regardless of the reproach, regardless of the hardship, I want Jesus Christ, and that's all. This must lie at the foundation of the death of self and the highest life in Jesus Christ. Now, with this, with this motive, pure and fixed in the heart, we must now always willingly accept at every occasion humiliation, criticism, judgments self-abasement which God's province will bring to us while on one hand we are not to seek a cross we're not to make a cross Jesus will do that for us we do not crucify ourselves Jesus performs the work of crucifixion. It is not a work of the human spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you reject this work in your life, and bitterness rises up in your heart, and you cut off God's people, and you cut off the fellowship of God, if you refuse to accept the humiliation, the mortification, the inconvenience, the painful annoyances, then you are denying Jesus Christ. You see, humiliation is the very essence of the Christ life. And when you say, oh, I'm not going to go there because if I accept this, I'm going to be shamed. If, I, if I'm willing to walk with you when you're serving Jesus in the way you're serving him, I will be shamed. Then the sweetness and the tenderness of God is not flowing in your heart. And you are rejecting the very thing by which God desires to save your soul. Humiliation is at the very heart of a life in Christ. And sometimes my spirit has risen up and I've said, Lord, why? Lord, why? I have to ask him the questions. I'm going through now a very painful and difficult and humiliating time in my life with the National Prayer Chapel. I woke up this morning shortly after four and began to pray. I said, Lord, are you angry with me? And the answer came ringing back. No, I'm not angry with you, Ray. I'm trying to bring you deeper into my heart. And those pieces of pride have to be dealt with. No, he's not, he's not angry with us when humiliation comes and when rejection comes and when judgments come and when gossip flows he's not angry with us rather he wants to crush out the last remnants of that foolish pride and meanness he wants to deal with our hearts We come to a place where we finally make the decision that we will appreciate every opportunity of sinking into humility. I am so hidden today in Jesus, I recognize that I am not anybody. I'm not special. I don't have special gifts. I'm not someone to be loved and respected, but Jesus is. And I want only to be hidden in Jesus Christ. That's the cry of my heart. More of Jesus and less of me. More of Jesus and none of me. 
till when reproach comes when there's harsh and unkind treatment by those you have loved when poverty comes upon us when loneliness fills our heart when persecution flows when there's mental distress so that you can't sleep when it seems that you have utterly failed in your task and your disappointments have been stacked up to the sky when there are deep perplexities and you don't understand how could this happen why am I in this place what did I do wrong How am I going to survive? When these deep, heartbroken perplexities come upon us, or literally any disagreeable thing comes to us, we must be in a state of of divine peace. We're to calmly face these things as appropriate occasions for losing our own will and letting God take charge of them all. We can thereby in these humiliations be more delicately and firmly knit to the will of God. Last night, We had a wonderful time of prayer together at the National Prayer Chapel. And I shared there that through the last several weeks, through the turmoil and the judgment, through the pain and the tears, has come a great acceptance in my heart, a great peace in my soul, a sweetness that only comes from crushing the grapes. I recognize I'm not anybody, but I recognize that Jesus is somebody, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he comes with healing and love and mercy in his wings. I'm so grateful today to Jesus. And I'm so grateful to those brothers and sisters who are standing with me for their financial sacrifices, for for the encouraging phone calls, emails, text messages. It seems the more enemies you have and the more angry they are, the more close your true friends will become. And they'll stand with you and they'll believe in you and they won't cast you off. That's when you begin to discover who your true friends are. And I tell you today, Never was there a friend 
like Jesus. Never was there a friend like Jesus. There is another method to the dying and the crucifixion. The first one is to receive the reproach and the humiliation and to allow it to draw you into the heart of Jesus, whatever comes. The second one is to be exceedingly careful not to receive human honors or praise in your inner heart. If we're worthy of having enemies who will seek opportunities of humiliating us all in the name of of loving us, all in the name of truth. These, these enemies, I just bless in the name of Jesus. I pray for them. And I love them. But with those enemies will come close and precious friends who will not believe the worst of us, but will believe the very best. And as I said, the more bitter the enemies are, the stronger our friends will love us. We must be very careful not to let our friends' love in any way inflate our thoughts about ourselves. It requires great humiliation. Moses was called the humblest man on the earth in order not to lose this crucifixion of self and the life of Christ in me. Well, there's another step in being crucified, and that is to deliberately simplify your life, to simplify your manners and your words, your dress, your tastes, to simplify your inner life. Self naturally feeds on complexity and things grand and large and loud. But Jesus is the absolute embodiment of simplicity. The deeper we enter into the Christ life, the more disappointing we become to the people. And they will say to us, if this is how you are, I'm not going to walk with you. We become objects of disappointment. Our learning, our talents, we don't show them off anymore to our advantage. We talk less. We live more quietly. We live more out of an interior life with Jesus we become quiet people, not noisy gongs. Our labors are not to show off. We frankly do more hard fighting with fewer dress parades. We bring things to pass through prayer, through faith in God, more than by outward showy methods. We love to live like God, a profound, hidden life in which people think we don't amount to very much. 
This is one of the key tests of being crucified with Christ. I'm always well pleased when people think I'm nobody because that means Christ is doing his work in me. I'm not showboating. Well, there's another test, another step, another idea for the death of self. And this one is perhaps, for me, one of the most difficult. It is to live by pure faith in Jesus Christ, not depending on spiritual experience, not depending on signs and wonders, but simply a clear, absolute, unwavering belief that in Jesus Christ I can do everything, but by myself I can do nothing. It is an entire abandonment to believing in Jesus Christ. It is not to believe in my experience. It is not to believe in my standards. It is not to believe in my measurements. It is not to believe in my accomplishments. It's not even to believe in my testimony. It is to be united so deeply in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost that I know beyond question that all that I am is found in Him. And in that place, allowing the sweet, kind, loving fragrance of Jesus to flow out of my life into your life. And one of the things that I recognize is that until you have such an urgent need prompted by the Holy Spirit to walk in the way I'm describing, you will never come and be a part of the National Prayer Chapel because you're satisfied with many of you lowlands. I'm not satisfied with the lowlands. I, I want to go to the mountaintop with Jesus. I want to be on that mount of transfiguration with Jesus. I am choosing to abandon myself entirely to his mercy for finances, for health, for friendships. I'm entirely abandoning myself to Jesus for the National Prayer Chapel. It is Jesus who said the National Prayer Chapel will be born in a day. It's not going to grow as a normal church. It's going to explode as people suddenly, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, have such a hunger in their hearts that they have to get to God. Now, whenever we begin to enter these new dimensions of Christian life, it will be distinguished with marks of grace, with manifestations of the Holy Spirit working within us, 
There will be a conscious fullness of the flow of the sweetness of the Holy Spirit. There will be spoken words that will affirm our journey. But I caution you not to linger too much on these things or to rest in them, for they will very quickly begin to furnish a refined place in your self-life. The deepest conformity to Jesus will lead us to be weaned from ecstasies and bright inward lights which are very essential in their place, but to be constantly drinking the Christ life by an act of pure faith is the path to the deepest death of self. Do you want Jesus? Or are you satisfied with the lowlands? Are you satisfied with your self-life in Jesus? Improved? Built upon? But not crucified. Because you have come to your limit with God. You've come to your limit. And you've said, I've had enough. And the judgments and the gossip have flowed. And you've separated yourself Now there's another way of dying to self. And that is to very thoughtfully avoid making our religious life an unnecessary burden or cross or tax to our families and loved ones. Sometimes when we want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, we adopt a mode of life or devotion or a theory of sanctity which is a source of pain and anguish to those with whom we live. This is opposite to Jesus. And it feeds the self-life instead of killing it. We should seek to be yielding and pliant and obliging and accommodating to those in our family. In all non-essentials where a well-defined principle of right and wrong is not involved we must surrender our little choices and tastes and ease for the well-pleasing and gratification of others. To be rigid and stubborn or on non-essentials is simply another form of self-righteousness and a stronghold of self. You see, in everything we're to seek our nothingness and the allness of God. This must become a daily habit of our motives and intentions. Our families need to experience our love, not our righteousness. If you're fearful that your family will reject you because of your righteousness, you're probably right. And you can only maintain that false identity for so long before they see that your feet are made of clay. No, your family must experience the deep, broken fountains of love and tenderness and sweetness that burst forth as you walk in utter humiliation before them. We must ignore our own wisdom and look to Jesus for the most minute guidance 
that we may be one in all things. I want the work of crucifixion finished in my life. And humiliation and self-abandonment and turning fully to Jesus and recognizing that every portion of my body, every portion of my mind and my spirit desire oneness with Jesus Christ, that I will no longer walk in my own wickedness. Now I'll tell you what will happen. As you forget about yourself, John 17 is very clear. He says in verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The way the world will know that Jesus was sent by the Father is when they see our oneness. And if you, out of your own bitterness of heart, break that oneness, you are denying that Jesus came from the Father. Now what begins to happen is as we walk in the body of Christ, we become a community. We no longer are just one individual person, but we become the body of Jesus Christ, and he is the head. So if there's a problem, we come together and we pray it through. We don't run. And those Absaloms who would come into our lives... Jesus will deal with them personally. He will make us holy if we will love one another. Let me read this to you in the book of 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is First John 4, verse 7. Verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now God is righteousness, and he's granted to us repentance But if you truly want to know Jesus, all of the bitterness, all of the anger, all the judgments must be washed from your soul. And you must allow the sweetness of Jesus to flow. Because God is more than righteousness. He is agape. He is self-sacrificing love. 1 Corinthians 13 is very clear. You can have all the righteousness, but your fruit is green and sour, a touch of vinegar. That's not what God has called us to.
This is how his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he is in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in the world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates or is indifferent to his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The crucifixion of self. We have but a few minutes left in this broadcast. This is a time of crisis at the prayer chapel, but we will weather it and we will lift up Jesus as we always have and we will be faithful without any anger. No bitterness. Just love. Sweetness of spirit. Yesterday, I went to the post office, and there in the mail was a letter, and all it said was, God bless you, Pastor Greenley." <laughs> I opened it up, and there was a money order for $60 for Pilgrim's Progress. I picked it up, and suddenly I saw there was another money order for another $60. And then I picked that up and saw there's another money order for $40. And then I picked that up and there was another money order for $60. I can't read the name of the person. It was beyond my ability to decipher, but I want to say thank you, dear sister, for that letter yesterday lifted my spirits so much. It encouraged me so much in the barrenness of this time. If this broadcast is valuable to you, would you quickly and kindly just pour out tithes and offerings to lift us through this cost for this month's broadcast? If the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart and these messages are of value to you, would you respond with great generosity and thank you to this dear sister and to the brothers and sisters who have 
so faithfully given to cover the cost of this broadcast. The National Prayer Chapel will not be able to cover its portion this month, and so whether we remain on the air or not is going to depend on brothers and sisters who love this broadcast and who love me. And I'm just very grateful to you, and I want to tell you how much I I love you and respect your walk with Jesus. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to come. We had a solemn assembly last Sunday. This Sunday will be a normal worship service. If there is such a thing at the prayer chapel, it will be intense and it will be wonderful, and I invite you to come. You can find us at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. We rent there. We begin at 12 noon. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive. Come and worship with us, my brother, my sister, if the Holy Spirit's calling you. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also contribute with a credit card there, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. I hope today's broadcast has fed your heart and called you into crucifixion. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.